0: You're listening to The Preaching Podcast from Regency Baptist Church, located in Loomis, California, in the greater Sacramento region. We pray that you'll be blessed by this Bible-based message, and it's also our desire that you'll be helped with this message in your personal walk with Jesus, and strengthened in your commitment to serve Him daily. Hi, Chapter 1,
1: verse number 1. in the... Second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, and the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye uh, Ye eat, but ye have not. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Fathers, we look at this word tonight. I pray that you'd speak to us. And I pray, Lord, as always, that you'd revive a work in our hearts. Father, it's not that the work of God is lacking. It's that the people of God are lacking in our dedication and our separation, Lord, and our purity in the work. And I pray, Lord, you'd stir our hearts tonight as we think on a a new theme, a new vision, new goals, Lord, just a new year, new opportunities to serve you. Father, tomorrow we'll wake up and we'll have renewed mercies. We'll have a renewed day. And if you tarry, Lord, renewed opportunities to serve you, I pray that we'd revive, Lord, continually throughout our life anytime we see the work of God slip. Help us, Lord, I pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The setting of Haggai is found in the time of the Jews' exile, uh, the, really the, the main exile period we read of in the Bible is when Babylon, you might know the name Nebuchadnezzar, invaded Jerusalem, took the people, there were a few other invasions, and absolutely desecrated and demolished the temple and the city, lied it to waste and ruins. In Daniel, we read about the next empire that took over after that, being the Persians, aligned with the Medes as well. Daniel 6, Daniel the lion's den is in that setting where the Persians were ruling. Esther fits into that timeline as well. Ezra fits in there as well. And that's the timing of this book, Haggai. This is after the, 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 the ruling of Babylon. And this is the time of the Persian rule, the rule with the Medes as well. And God's people were given an opportunity to go back to their homeland. To go back and to do what? To To revive the city, to revive the work of God, to revive their houses and their homes and their street and their town and their commerce and their store and all those things. But really, the focus is on this to revive the temple and to revive the power and the worship and the presence of God in that place. And Haggai is centered all around that building project, the reviving of the building of the temple that was destroyed. When Babylon came in and destroyed the temple of God given. There's only two chapters, but it's pretty easy when you read through it and you study it to see that there's four sections throughout the book of Haggai. We see that he comes one month, and then he comes a couple months later, and then a couple months later, and in the same one, in the third message, a fourth message right after that. I have highlighted in my Bible five times Haggai uses the word consider. Consider. This book is a is a preacher's book. Haggai gets a breath of air, and he, he just lets it rip for a few minutes. It doesn't take a lot of time to preach truth, but just says exactly what the people need to hear to get back to doing to what they're supposed to do. But I like that thought, consider, consider, to take thought, to take note, to ponder, to take evaluation, consider. I want you to see a few thoughts tonight. We'll look at these four different sections. In the book of Haggai, number one, he speaks to them on this, that this was a time for them to focus. A time for them to focus. Now, chapter one is the first section. And in chapter two, we find the other three sections. Chapter one is this. Chapter one was their ruin. Chapter one is their wrongdoings. Chapter one is here's where you've erred, and here's what you've done wrong, and here's where you've been distracted. And can I just help us to get perspective a little bit that nothing is going to change in the world, nothing is going to change in our lives just by saying, you can do it, you're the best, you're the greatest, you're the most incredible. He starts with this. Before we talk about doing anything positive, we need to deal with what's been going on wrong. We need to take care of the sin. We need to point out the distractions. We need to make it clear what the problem is that's held back the work of God To this point, the people were given a great opportunity to go back. If you can imagine, think about Nehemiah as he stood before the king as the cupbearer. And the Bible says he prayed in his heart and just said, Man, I I hope and I pray I could go back to my home and just do something to save that land that had so much glory in it. And to think of a pagan, really a a wicked empire and and a worldly king to tell the Jews, You can go back. You don't have to stay in captivity. It's like in our modern day, prisoners of war. You can go back to America and and rebuild things that have been destroyed, that we destroyed. This was a miracle of God. And you see a people of God that went back and there was excitement and there was nervousness. There was a new generation even that came that only heard stories about what their land once was. But this was a great opportunity. But then when they got back, problems came and and really that there are a few times where the Jews were allowed to go back and a lot of this context is important to understand why the message was brought by Haggai and up to this point the people of God had gone back and said well we need to fix the roads or we need to fix our houses we need to fix the stores we need to fix our way of living just so we can live here just so we can have a civilization. And and they got busy and they got to work, built the foundation of the temple and and started to make progress with the things of God. But then they paused and they hesitated and they stopped for a time and and years went past and there was no progress with the work of God. A miracle that they were given the ability to go back to Jerusalem and Haggai is there to, to get the work going again. All right, we, we've had enough time and we've been distracted enough. We've been, you know, all working on other things enough. Now it's time to focus. Benjamin Franklin said, I've never met a man who was good at ex- making excuses that was good at anything else. And isn't that the truth? If you're asked, well, why did you get it done? Well, I got, I got a lot of excuses I can give. And we're not usually short for giving excuses. And so he goes through here and says, I, I see your excuses. I'm here to. To, to, to say to them exactly what needs to be said. First of all, we see verse four, that they were distracted. They were distracted. Verse four, it says, is it time for you, O ye that dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Uh, in other words, they went home and they said, well, we need to build homes to live in, right? If we're gonna work on the work of God, we need a place to put our families. We need a place to sleep. We need a place that's nice or livable, a place that we can Call home. And he said, You're spending so much time in your home that you're neglecting the work of God. Now I look at that and I say, Well, Lord, we got a lot of stuff going on in our home right now. And we got projects going on in our house right now. And I'm reading this and saying, Yes, Lord, I get it. Yes, Lord, I understand. You know, I think we could say this in our nation that we have become obsessed, obsessed with home renovations and with personal things, and making our property picture perfect, because we see it on social media, and we see the countless TV shows of homes that are flipping, and things that are changing, and things that are taking place, and he's saying, you are so distracted with your stuff, you're doing nothing for the cause of Christ. Now, I don't think he's saying, you need to live in a dump. I don't think he's saying, I want you to live on the street. I don't think he was rebuking them because he said, you have to live in poverty in order to be a good Christian, but just you've gotten distracted. You've gotten distracted. You say, how do I know when I've gotten distracted? I don't think that I can answer that for you, but I think you probably know. You probably know that they were distracted. How many times have people, how many times have maybe we used a house project? Well, well, I can't go soul winning because this got to get done. We got to run these errands. We've got to fix this we got to work on this now if you have uh, water coming out of the side of your house and well pastor said soul owning. got to go soul owning. sorry honey let let the yard fill up you know when we go soul owning. there's things that need to get done but many times many times it can wait that okay to say there will always be another project there will always be something else to do there, there will be a never-ending list of projects that will happen. Last night I picked up a, a paintbrush and finished part of our uh, living room. And I started on it last year. Yes, that's right. I'm not talking about 2023. Like, actually about 12 months ago. So I'm so sorry, honey, that I haven't finished, you know, this part. You just get busy and you think, you know, it's, it's never going to end. There's always something, and then you update things, and you work on other things. By the time you get done with those things, things you updated before, well, now they need updating again. It's, it's never going to end. He says, can we remember what's important? Why were you sent here to build your kingdom or to build God's work? Were you sent here so you could live in grandeur and luxury or so you could be used for the cause of Christ? They were distracted. How many TV shows can you think of that's on home flipping and home writing? Again, I don't think God is against it per se. But when it becomes a distraction, can't go to church because we've got another projects going on. We, we can't go soul winning because we've got another project going. I can tell that's going well, so I'm going to move on. Verses 5 and 6, we see they were depleted. They were depleted. Not, not only were they distracted in their, in their personal lives, they were depleted in that, he says, you're working and you're toiling, you're laboring, and there's not been much fruit from it, has there? Verses five and six. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and brought in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe ye, but there is none warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Now we'll, we'll learn later on why God did this, why God wasn't blessing them and why they were dealing with stuff that really, you know, turned to a a failed economy, but he says, you have nothing to prove for it. You're living in a depleted state. The economy is not growing. It's not bursting. It's not booming. Business is not at an all-time high. We see discouragement, and then we see verses 7 through 11. They were defeated, and we, we can read these passages on your own if you'd like to go back and look at this, but he basically says, verse 9, Ye have looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. So he says, I've brought in defeat to those other things that you've tried to do. I like these next few verses. Verses 12 through 14, we see that they were dutiful. Uh, Then Zerubbabel, Joshua The Bible says, with the remnant, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Hey, thank the Lord for people that are humble enough to say, yes, Lord, I was wrong. Father, I stopped and I considered my ways and I understand that I'm not perfect. And yeah, I got distracted and I I was a little depleted and I got defeated. God, I haven't been exactly where I'm supposed to be. So what am I going to do? I'm going to obey. Kind of like our theme for this year, trust and obey. Bay. We think it's a kid's song. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. But it truly is. Obey. It says they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God hath sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. And then you go down to the end of verse number 14. It says, and they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Haggai comes and he says, what's going on? You've gotten distracted. You're so busy with the little things in your life and everybody's in their corner and everybody's in their life and everybody's in their home and everybody's doing their personal things, but nobody is in the work of God doing anything for the cause of Christ. He said, God sees. He sees the failed economy around you. He sees that there's defeat on every side. And the people stood there and they said, you're right, we're wrong. We need to get working again. Hey, let's get back to this. And they picked up the hammers and they picked up the the, the drills or whatever they used in that day. And they picked up the tools and they got back to work. I love that term there. They, they, They were stirred up in their spirit. And the Bible says this, they did it because they had a fear of God in their hearts. It wasn't just that they said, oh man, I guess we need to add more tasks to the list. No, their heart changed. The fear of God was put back in their hearts that you know what? We were put into captivity for this reason. Not because we just didn't do right, but because our hearts weren't close to God like we were supposed to be. So Haggai was sent there and said, "You, you need to focus again. If you compare verse one to verse number 15, you find here, that they finished the work and they did the work in 23 days. 23 days here we see that they did the work of God. And it's amazing if I can say this, to see what God's people can do when they work together, when they serve together. I know there's been times that our church we can look back and we can say, you know, a, a few did a work and some did a work. And times we can look back and say, man, a majority of the church was soul winning. A majority of the church was giving. A majority of the church was praying, and the people of God were serving God and working for, can I say, amazing things happen when the people of God just get to work. Just get to work. They say, you know, you can't replace, uh, or work smarter, not harder. And I like that term, but if I can say, you'll never replace hard work. It takes hard work. Prayer is hard work. Bible study is hard work. Soul winning is hard work. Working with people, it's hard work. It's hard work. But it's amazing to see what God's people can do when they work. Number two, it's a time to fortify. This is the second message that Haggai brought. We find this is one month after chapter one, verse number one. So 30 days goes by. Haggai comes back here and he speaks to them and he finds in the beginning, in these first three verses, he finds that these people were discouraged. Now, why were they discouraged? If you look at verse number three, it says, he asked a question, who is there left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not, is it not in your eyes in comparison uh, of it as nothing? In other words, he said this. He said, I know some of you remember how the temple used to be. We call it the glory days. Oh, if you saw it in my day. Back in my time, if you could have only seen, if you could have only been there <clears throat> as the work of God was going on, it was obvious that this temple was nothing compared to the temple of Solomon. It was nothing compared to the temple that brought royalty from other areas of the world that said, we can't believe this place. We need to see it with our own eyes. The Queen of Sheba said, I thought it was great, but the half hath not been told. I mean, the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the wealth of the work of God. Now, if we could think about what the temple used to be, hey, let's be careful about this. Well, let's not waste money on, you know, paint colors. And let's not waste money on air conditioning and heat. And we, we need to live in just just the worst and, you know, use all of our money for just tracks and all of that. Sometimes we get in that thinking and think, well, the church of God can't be... I find that there was a lot of wealth in Solomon's temple. Now, we don't find a lot of independent Baptist churches today that probably can measure up to Solomon's temple. I don't don't think that's the goal, and that's not what I'm saying by any means, but but I do get a little bothered with that thought of, of let's not put money into the work of God here. Let's not try to make the best of what God has given us in this place. Can I say God's given us a beautiful area to have our church? God's given us a beautiful property. Uh, amazing buildings that 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 we use to their fullest capacity we had the carpet clean this this last week and it's like they get a lot of people running over them in a small square foot you know place and hey praise god it works it works but these people they said man it's nothing it's nothing compared to what it used to be and and god said i i, I see their hearts that they're discouraged and and, and this new temple You know, I think we can learn a lesson from this that nothing, maybe we could say this way, looks worse than the present, and nothing looks better than the past or the future. It was always better back then in some way. And it's always gonna be better in the future because we're gonna change some things. Now is the worst it's ever been. Don't we think that sometimes? This is the hardest, this is the most evil, the most discouraging, uh, the most difficult. Because it's the present, it's easy to see the flaws. We look back on the past, and those of you who maybe used to play sports can relate to this. As time goes on, your memory of how good you were it gets better and better. You know, you weren't the role player on the bench that played five minutes a game. You were a starting player that averaged 20 points and 20 rebounds and 20 assists. I mean, you were the, uh, the old school Will Chamberlain before there was Will Chamberlain. If scouts would have saw you, history books would have been written different. We view the past a little bit skewed sometimes. And it's not that they viewed the past in a wrong manner. It's that their their heart was in the past when it should have been in the present. If I could add to that by saying this, don't get too attached to the things of this life. I was thinking about our church. And a couple years ago, we moved properties with many of our folks that are here from Orangeville to Loomis. And you might say, Pastor, that was hard for us. I, I grew up at that church. I grew up at Regency Baptist in Orangeville. And maybe you think about a home that you used to live in. And you lived there for, for a long time or you grew up there or your parents' house or whatever. And then they moved the house. And those things can be hard, can't they? And it has nothing to do with buildings or address but memories. And, and you think back on all of these things. But I think God in some way, he's saying, hey, don't don't get so fixated on on the walls and the decorations and the jewels and the things. And, and all of this and that, my wife and I are in our, our second home right now that God's allowed us to, to purchase. And, you know, you never forget your first home. Those of you that, that, have, that have purchased home, you never forget your first home. And I remember that process and thinking of just the, the, the work and the time and all this stuff. Man, believe in that place. That was hard. We were only there for just a couple of years. but That's difficult. Maybe you can relate again if it's a home you grew up in or, or a home that you used to be in. And these people, they were just discouraged. They said, It's not like how it used to look and it's not where it used to be. And he says, Hey, I, I see your heart. And he gives them direction in verse number four. He says, Yet now, and three times he says this Be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua the high priest, and be strong. All ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. Here it is, for I am with you. He said, you're discouraged because of the stuff. But should it matter where you are as long as you have the presence of God? Should it matter what the buildings look like, what the temple looks like, what the surrounding cities look like? He said this, hey, the only thing that should matter to you is that God is with you. That's what you should be concerned about. In other words, we shouldn't be enamored by any th- property or, or place or plans that we have and come into church and say, well, well, surely we're blessed because look at all this stuff. And God forbid that that causes us to fail, to get on our knees and say, God, if all this was taken or if we had all of this, we're failures if we do not pray for the presence of God in our lives. He says, you're discouraged, but you forget this, that you can be strong and you should be strong because I am with you. I thought back when I was reading this to the time where churches met in secret. Think about during the dark ages, very very dark times of history, especially in the early church. But yet the work of God, it thrived during that time. And there wasn't fancy buildings. There wasn't beautiful uh, 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 chandeliers and air conditioning and heating and padded seats and padded pews. There wasn't the luxuries that we had, but the people of God, they thrived and they multiplied. And the work of God went on. Why? Because the presence of God was there. And we as a church ought to be careful to think that any of the stuff that God's given us gives us any kind of security as far as the work of God goes. Our security is this. Are we close to God? Is his presence with us? They were given direction. We understand that only God can build the church. Only God can give us uh, success or can give numerical growth, can give physical growth or practical growth. What what, what can we do, you ask? Can I remind you from Sunday night? Trust and obey. I asked my wife, did I say that too many times? She said no. So I'm going to keep saying it. Trust and obey and obey. Trust and obey. And then they were disclosed. God God gives them a little bit of an insight into his future plan. Verses six through nine, he talks about uh, the end. And I love the focus here. Uh, If we can read, let's see, verse number seven, he says, and I will shake all nations. And this phrase is really important. And the desire of all nations shall come. That term desire of all nations," is a term or a phrase, if you will, speaking of God's future kingdom. You probably don't recognize it until you hear the words, but Charles Wesley wrote the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we're not singing a Christmas song tonight, amen. But if I can remind you of the words of it, he writes, Come desire of nations, come, fix in us thy... That's what that phrase is from. All right, forgive me for... Singing partial of Christmas song in the month of January, but that phrase is found from this passage. The desire of all nations is speaking of God's future kingdom. Okay, so what's the truth here? He says you're getting so distracted thinking about well the glory days and (coughs) what used to be how great it how great it was in my time and I just don't know if God's ever going to work again. It's never going to be so great. It's never going to be so awesome. You think about I think about maybe the, the 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 younger generation, the new generation. They never saw solomon's temple they, they grew up in exile they grew up in babylon they went back and said praise god god's at work and the lord is moving god is working praise the lord for what he's doing to them it's like this is great god, god did a miracle he allowed us to come back and then there's a generation that said man why, why are we even trying what's going on well why are we wasting why are we spinning our wheels and to all of those people says this the hope is not in the old kingdom. The hope is not in the current kingdom. The hope is in the future kingdom. The hope is in the kingdom to come. That temple came and went. The temple you're working on now, it's coming, but it's going to go too. This church that we're in today, it came, it's great, it's wonderful one day, it'll be gone. It'll be gone. He says, don't don't get so fixated on things. Don't get so tied to the walls or the address or the style or the property, whatever it may be. Verse number nine is is really a key verse in this entire book. He says, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, what God has for us in the future is greater than... Than anything we've ever experienced in the past or will in the present. Number three, we see he encouraged them uh, a time to follow. This was a, a time to follow. Another two months are, are, are passed from Haggai 1 1, and then another month, 2 1, and then two more months, uh, chapter 2, verse number 10. And he starts to speak on them as they begin working to the temple and they see progress and they see success. And verses 10 through 13, he gives them somewhat of of a riddle, if you will. And he takes them back to Jewish uh, culture, but also to uh, laws of that time with priests and cleanliness. And you can read the book of Leviticus and read about keeping clean and how to remove yourself if you're unclean and all, all the different types of scenarios that that can be applied to. And he says here, if you were to. Touch a dead body with one hand and to touch a loaf of bread or to get some food with that same hand, would you consider that food to be clean or unclean? Would it not be unclean? You tell your kids when you come to the dinner table, hey, let me see your hands. We did tonight with our kids. Are they clean? No. Go wash your hands. Because you touch that dirty thing, whether it was a basketball in the yard or your bike or just putting your hands in the ground, you know, what kids do amazes us. But whatever it is, if you're going to touch that food that mom's prepared, that, 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 that God has given to us, you're going to make that food unclean because you're unclean. And the, and the truth that he was speaking to them about was this. In verse number 14, Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and that which they offer, therefore, is unclean. In other words, he challenges their heart to say, all that you do work for that and you work for the God. Take a moment to pause and make sure that you have clean hands. Clean hands. It's not just about the work that you do. It's not just about what you built and what you made and what you work on. It's not just what I was able to do, but did I work on it with a clean heart? Every time we have folks that, 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 that sing in our choir and special music, those that get to teach a Sunday school class or junior church, that get to give a challenge or preach or witness, and anything we get to do for the work of God, he says this, clean hands, clean hands, clean hands, going to God on a daily basis. Lord, all my sins that I've committed, Lord, I, I bring to you and I confess to you. Can I ask you this? Do you have a a normal time of confession before the Lord? That's the only way to have clean hands. When's the last time that you knelt before God and said, Lord, forgive me? Not because you did something big. God, God speaks of it as something that we ought to do every single day. We need to do every single day. Why? Clean hands. Clean hands. That there's a realization there, if we're unclean in our heart, then all the work that we do is unclean as well. God clarifies the resistance that they found in verses 16 and 17. Verse 17, he says, I smote you with blastings and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands, yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. He said, I brought the, the, the hardship in your life and, and I saw the work that you were doing, and I was trying to change your course. I was trying to get a hold of your heart. And you were going forward and you were going down the wrong way. And I brought this hardship in your life. And man, you're stubborn. You wouldn't turn. You wouldn't listen. You wouldn't get right. And sometimes we, we are pretty stubborn, aren't we? We just say, I'm going I'm to push through anyways. I'm going I'm to will through anyways. God, I know that you're trying to get my attention. I know you're trying to get a hold of my heart. But I'm just going to press forward no matter what. Do you realize that sometimes God brings things into our life to get our attention? So some of you have shared, have shared with me, have shared with the church. It was because of this hardship that I turned to the Lord or that I got saved or that we brought our family to church, that I dedicated myself to God, that I made a decision to, to let go of sin. It was because of hardship that God got my attention and I turned to him. He says, I tried to get your attention, but but you wouldn't turn. That There was a resistance there. It's almost like we, we have in our day, we'll send a text or, or, or make a phone call. Do we still make phone calls in our day other than people that we don't know? Uh, and you hear this, oh, sorry, I, di- I didn't get the message. I didn't get the message, didn't see the text and didn't see the voicemail. That's getting to be a, a harder of an excuse nowadays. And I even make that excuse sometimes. I'm sorry, I didn't see it. I don't know how. I mean, we live in the day where it's easier to communicate than ever before. God said, you didn't get the message. I wanted to get a hold of you, and I was trying to speak to you, but you just didn't listen. And I, I love this phrase. God really encouraged me with this. Verse number 15. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward. Verse number 18. Consider now from this day and upward. Verse number 19. Uh, it just, this is two times, forgive me. Uh, that, that phrase, from this day and upward. God, God is saying to the people there, we can't change the past. There's no way you can go back. The, the time that has been wasted, time you've had defeat, time you've had discouragement, so my challenge to you is this. Consider that from this day and upward. We say from this day forward, I'm going to live for God. From this day forward, the past I can't change. In the past, I have to leave behind. The past is written. It is done. There's no restarts in life. That's finished. But this day, I can live for God. And the days in the future, I can live for God. Just because the devil's got to hold you in the past doesn't mean he has to have a hold of your life today, nor does he have to have a hold of your life in the future. From this day and upward. What what a great truth. We serve the God of second chances. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Ran away from God in the deepest part of a ship, in the storm out in the sea, thrown overboard, giving his life, swallowed by a whale, praying in the whale's belly, spat upon the shore... All right, Jonah, let's try this again. Arise, go to Nineveh, and preach from this day and upward. You can't turn back the clock and live for God, but you can serve God with all your heart from this day and upward. And lastly, number four, he speaks to them in verses 20 through 23 about a time to have faith, a time to have faith. We don't find any time that's really given as a space between the last message that was just given and the current message. It's almost like just take a breath or take a break and hey, God gave me something else that I wanna to give to you. And it's a message to look to the future while you're serving in the present. We see through this a few, a few truths that God gives his people. First of all, I believe we see in verses 20, 21 and 23 that God works through people. It's time to have faith to see that God works through people. First of all, he worked through Haggai and to Zerubbabel. This message doesn't say, unto the people. It says it's a message that Haggai gave to Zerubbabel. And he said, I want, I want you to give this message to the people. Can we understand that God often works and speaks through people in our lives to speak to us? Sometimes a pastor, sometimes a, a, a Christian friend, many times a parent, a spiritual leader, Somebody who just said, hey, I'm praying for you. I love you. If there's, if there's anything I could do for you, th- th- there ought to be no, no person that uses the excuse, well, no one cared. Nobody cared. I had nobody to turn to. I wholeheartedly believe this. If that's, if that's your way of living, then you've chosen that. And I don't mean unkind. I don't want to be harsh. But I'm here to say this, that this place is meant to be a place to connect people together. And I know this, that if you ask enough people in the room to pray for you, that people will pray for you. That's right. you say, hey, I just need, just need encouragement, just need help. Now, if you ask everybody for a million dollars, you might not get it. If someone says yes, make sure you let me talk to them first. But God works through people in our lives. God, God's given us people in this room. God's given us people, even in our family, people that aren't in this place, that you might know on the other side of the world. But God works through people. God gives a, a, a statement in verse 23. In that day, say the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant. And he begins to speak about this man. He says, I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, say the Lord of hosts. What was so special about Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel was in the line of David. And we know now that from the line of David came Jesus Christ. We find in the book of Micah from the tribe of Judah and so many promises in scripture all the way back to the garden of Eden and from this woman and and all the promises of God that he works through people, through the spiritual leaders, through the people of God to bring forth Jesus Christ. God works through his promises. Six times we have in these couple of verses, I will shake the heavens. I will overthrow. I will destroy. I will overthrow. Uh, 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 Will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, I have chosen thee? One time he makes that statement. Seven times he says, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I've done. And I'm going to do it. Not maybe, not hopefully, but I will. It's time to have faith in the promises of God. If God says it, you can put it this way. Just take it to the bank. Put your trust in it. Trust and obey. Isn't it great? That just fits with almost every Bible story we read. Uh, Lastly, God works through his power. He works through his power. He says, speak, verse 21, to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down everyone by the sword of his brother, God says, not you, I will do it. And I like this, that that's the God that we serve. That's the one that we're behind. It's the God of the impossible. He said, hey, it's time to, time to have faith. God said he will. Will you serve him? Will you follow? Haggai came to, as we see in chapter one, stir up the people of God. Consider your ways. Stop. Consider. Take note, take action, take evaluation. What's gotten you off chorus? It's time to get back to work.
0: Thank you for listening to the Preaching Podcast from Regency Baptist Church. We pray that God has used this message to stir your heart for the gospel's sake. To get information about our ministry or to get in contact with us, please visit us at regencybaptistchurch.org. If you were encouraged by this Bible message, share it with a friend. Contact us or tune in next time to the Regency Baptist Church Preaching Podcast.